That should be me now. Yeah. I muted myself, so it obviously was off. Um, uh, he has few, quite a few people off his strep, mostly the primary school teachers. Where are all the primary school teachers this morning? Any of them here? Oh, maybe one or two left. But most of them are lying in their bed this morning watching, watching from home. There seems to be a bit of sickness about primary schools. All the secondary school teachers are still here, but uh, it's, uh, it's good. Just on, on giving, I, I want to say, I, I want to just make a wee, a wee note. Um, <clears throat> um, every month our, our giving as a church stays pretty, pretty solid. Uh, however, in the month of no- November and certainly going into the month of December, uh, um, we're obviously feeling a little bit the way everybody's feeling right now, hard done by. Um, last month we were down three and a half thousand on our regular given, which when you set yourself up for a year and a half where we normally live, and please believe when I tell you we're very generous people in our church, um, then the pressure starts to come on and the, the reserves start to go down very quickly. Um, as a church, we are incredibly generous. We make a point of trying to give 33% of our income away every year. That's either in community events or that's either uh, supporting uh, folks. Um, this year, I'm not going to lie, there's a, there's a lot of messages coming in for help. And the truth is, we, we don't have any reserves this year. Uh, what we did in Toy Tales, and that was thanks to Alistair Grant and the guys from Entertainer really helped us. This year, we helped more kids between Antrim and Patrick than we ever have. I think by the time we're done and dusted, uh, there's another group coming in, but I think we're going to land about 360 to 370 kids uh, between Dan Patrick and Adam. That's actually, you need to know, that's incredible. You know, that these, these parents can take themselves down. Yeah, like give yourselves a big round of applause because it was you, you guys who did that. Um, but <clears throat> we, that, that these parents can go down, they meet with Mara down in the entertainer, and even the staff down there are like, this is incredible, you bring life to the place. And these, these, these mummies and daddies come in and they're able to pick a toy out, out of, of there and, and put it under the tree. And, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a hard thing. You know, for us, maybe some of you folks, 30 pound doesn't feel like an awful lot of money. But for those guys, especially you five kids, that's an incredible amount of money. So give yourselves a big round of applause, Nat. I mean, that's incredible. 360, you know, or so kids. Uh, we work with a lot of the agencies and all of that. So, um, you know, it, it's quite hard to find folks sometimes uh, who are in need for that. And that's it. And if you're in need this year, please send us a message. We'll not promise anything, but we'll do our best to try and help out on that. Uh, but I do want to say in time, and offerings. If you've been coming to our church for a while, uh, we have people here who are regular givers, I, I want to encourage you, if you've been coming here and this is your home church, um, I want you to consider just asking the Lord. Rich and I regularly are under pressure financially, especially at the moment. And uh, one of the things that would be so easy to compromise is our, our tithes and offerings. And uh, every time I go to touch it, I'm like, the Lord just keeps reminding me, you can't afford to do this. And I've just discovered I can't afford not to give because the moment I stop giving, weird things start to happen and then I don't have any more money. I, I seem to, the more that we give, the more that we're able to keep giving. And uh, you know, the whole idea of giving isn't to get. Let me say that again. The whole idea of giving isn't to get, but it's a byproduct of the blessings of God. It's a principle of sowing ripping. He set it up and that's kind of the way it goes. If you sow, you reap a harvest. So I just want to put that out there. If you're praying about that, maybe some of you have been giving tithes and offerings now for five years and it's been the same. You know, it's 11% inflation right now, so your tithes and offerings have gone down. I'm, I'm kidding, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, um, so thanks for everybody in the Toy Tales thing. Uh, we're, we're in the middle of a, of a three-part series called The Gift. Um, who was here last week? Hmm. Yep, who got a smell of some frankincense? A few of you? Who's still smelling it? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. It's the oil of gladness, eh? Um, anyway, um, I, I want to talk this morning, continuing that on. And um, um, this is not really a Christmas uh, sermon this morning. This is an Easter sermon. 
but there's a reason for that, all right? And uh, I mean, I worship this morning. Dang you guys. Where's Lydia? Where is she? She'll hit me for this. Dang you and Joshua together. That's anointed. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so good. Um, when we sing about Jesus, something happens, yeah. you know, and... Um, this series called The Gift, and, and it's about these magi, these wise men brought these gifts to Jesus. And uh, when you think about it visually, I don't know about you, but my granny used to, I don't know where she stole it from somewhere, but she used to have like a full-size porcelain uh, manger scene. And she would turn her fireplace into this manger scene, and Jesus glowed. <laughs> how, how many of you know what I'm talking about? There was like this red light under his bum, and he just kind of, ha. Huh? And the smoke of the fire would come down. It was kind of like Jesus was glowing in the smoke. And, um, you know, and I don't know whether you, you imagine, and you see these three very respectful porcelain wise men come and carry in their gifts. And the truth is, that's what we know. Even yesterday in Downpatrick, I've got to tell you, if, if you haven't, if you've got kids you haven't booked in for next week, you really need to. I, I'm, I'm talking a lot about sheep today, which is really interesting. Uh, and I, I, sheep are dumb animals, all right? I spent yesterday morning at 7 a.m. along with our intern team, trying to chase sheep out of a field that was an inch of snow. I couldn't get the van up to get it picked up, but I literally sat on the back of a sheep in the back of a, of a little truck yesterday morning to bring the things down, to take them down to Down Patrick so that the kids could see them. And uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, anyway, we'll talk about sheep in a second. But uh, um, it's, it's just really incredible that we do this, this, different type of nativity and the feedback from the people yesterday it's really interesting when you go to a town like Downpatrick which is predominantly a Catholic um, area they have no grid for our church we were laughing yesterday we were just like it's like who what are yous it's like they just don't have a grid for it and we're just well we, we just uh, that's the way it is but they come in and we faithfully served and I would say this was the first time after being there what five years this year that I kind of felt like they hung around, they talked, they chatted to us. They weren't suspicious everymore. And the feedback coming in from the folks that came has just been incredible. You see, Acts 2 says, good deeds leads to goodwill, which leads to good news. And the more good deeds you do, the more will you have in the community. And after a while, people start to know Jesus. And that's the reason why we do what we do. Uh, we're virtually sold out for next weekend. If you, if you, real interesting thing we noticed, um, we, we, had, we had every 15 minute slots, we had a group of people coming in. People in Northern Ireland booked 12 o'clock or, or, or ha half past on the hour. Nobody booked the 45 or the quarter past. Dang, it's superstitious people or something. Honestly, like all the, all the slots that were either on the hour or half hour were full and all the other ones weren't. It's the weirdest anomaly when you look at the church suite stats. But anyway, there's plenty of places between a quarter past and a quarter to. If you want to book them up, you can do that. But I want to really encourage you. But, but we have this live nativity and we've got these animals. And next week we've got a donkey. Well, we're hoping to have a donkey. Uh, if it doesn't jump out, we've got sheep, we've got goats, we've got calves, we've got rabbits. And, uh, you know, and the kids just come in and they, they get to see this and it literally smells like a manger. So I apologize for Christmas chaos next week when you come here. It will smell like a stable, okay? Quite literally, we're making it authentic. So, but you get the picture and, uh, and, and the, the chances are you've seen that before. And many scholars actually believe, and I'm going to spoil your nativity scene now, okay? You ready? When the wise men came, most scholars agree he wasn't a baby. It was roughly about when he was a toddler. Now, can you imagine giving your two-year-old these gifts? 
you know, trying to lug some gold coins around or something. I don't know about you when you're two, but anybody got those? You know, you have to negotiate with a terrorist when you're dealing with a two-year-old. Who's got them? Who knows what I'm talking about? It's like, it's like you just, you want to, you wanna, here, take my iPhone, watch whatever you like, I don't care. Go rob a bank. It's just get them out of there. And, uh, but you imagine this picture of these, these magi coming with these gifts to uh, a, a little two-year-old toddler and giving these gifts and him tearing them open. It's kind of interesting. You know, it's like, I just can imagine it was like playing baby shark for the 90th million time. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not going to do it, but you know what I mean, all right? Anyway, and uh, but we have this visual of these magi, these, these, these wise men bowing down with these offerings to, to Jesus. And Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 or 11, it said this. Scripture says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. They bowed down and worshiped Jesus. They opened their treasure chest and they gave them gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Unusual gifts in the day and unusual gifts even today. Uh, on behalf of my family, I'd like to thank you for all the gifts that you've given us over the years. We've had some crackers, all right? Uh, one, year, uh, one year, first Christmas, somebody gave us a little, a bubble, one bubble for a Christmas tree. And I remember thinking, what, is that it? And they were very pleased with the gift they gave. Um, uh, the same person gave a, a gift of a rather large um, uh, plastic cockerel, or a, 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 a cockerel, and you're like, what, 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 a rooster? Like, what the heck? And this is the best one, okay? Someone gave Rachel and I a candle of two naked people intertwined. <laughs> now, going on the, 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 the not tonight oil from last week, which by the way, I've had so many of you women message me going, can I have some of that? What is it? It's, it's, I mean, just think about the gifts that you get sometimes. Have you ever thought about that? And, and yet, these strange gifts, they come to Jesus, and he gets these things. And I want to talk about the gift of myrrh today. The gift of myrrh, and I don't mean myrrh-er. I mean a myrrh. It's really quite funny. Down in Dan Patrick yesterday, they the show the kids a myrrh. It's like, here you go, this is a myrrh. Uh, I <laughs> and um, I want to tell you a little bit of myrrh. Myrrh was a, a really valuable gum-like substance, which actually was mentioned 17 different times in the Bible. And occasionally myrrh was used as an antiseptic. For example, when they told the story of Jesus on the cross, when they offered him the wine mix, you know, the vinegar wine, it actually was mixed with, with vinegar wine and myrrh. And the myrrh was to dull the pain, but Jesus rejected it because he wanted to feel the full weight of the sin. Uh, and uh, it was commonly uh, used, but the main ingredients, the main reason for myrrh was the substance that they embalmed the dead in. It was a, a, a substance that held uh, skin. Ladies used it for, for making their skin look beautiful, but it also maintained and they embalmed the, the dead with, with myrrh. And, and as you've learned from last week, this is a prophetic picture of what was to come. And these gifts were so reflective prophetically of what was going on at the time. And scholars agree, and I, I agree with them, that, that myrrh was a representation of the suffering servant, the Lamb of God, who would die and take away the sins of the world. And that he would, be, but he would, he would eventually die and he would be wrapped in, in, in an embalming cream, myrrh, and then wrapped in, 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 in death clothes. And, and we see in Isaiah 53, uh, we show where, where this myrrh represents Jesus' suffering servant when he was born to suffer on behalf of the forgiveness of sins. Isaiah 53, this is what it said. He, 
he has believed our message to whom that the Lord revealed his powerful arm. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root on dry ground. There is nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing that would attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs to him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet, it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God and a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep in silence before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one carried, no one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and he had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal and he was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life was made an offering of sin for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all our sins. I will give him the honors of the victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death he was counted among the, the, the rebels and bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. I'm curious, how, how many of you watched the football last night? Anybody? Sorry, Alan. Where's all the English? Feel sorry for you. Not. No, I'm joking. Sorry, Alan. I promised Alan I wouldn't do that. I, 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 I gave the English a hard time the last time they lost the European Cup final and I got absolutely lambasted by every English friend I had on Facebook so I decided not to do that anymore. Um, but uh, I... I, I you know, I, 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 wonder, I, I wonder if before the World Cup, I came along and I predicted who the two finalists were going to be. Um, you'd, and, and I was right. You would kind of think, okay, that, that, that was a pretty good guess. Well done. You're kind of lucky. But what happens if I predicted who it was and the goal score? But imagine this. Imagine that in 700 years' time, if football's still popular and still around, that not only would I get who was in the final right, I would get the score and every detail of what was to come. And you need to understand that this is one of the most powerful prophecies in Scripture. That 700 years, it's one of the longest recorded prophecies. And the detail, I mean, how did Isaiah know that he would be buried in a rich man's grave? How did this passage tell the forecoming story of the crucified Christ in detail. I mean, that's pretty incredible when you think about that, that this prophet Isaiah would, would for 700 years know, I mean, like, just think about, about what that looked like, that if you knew something in 700 years' time and in detail, that would make you one incredible prophet. 
And that's exactly what happened in this story. It was this picture of the suffering of Jesus and the price that he would pay for our sins that, 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 that Isaiah saw something, and yet he saw something else that's prophetic that we sometimes overlook. Back to my sheep. We like sheep. Everybody say, we like sheep. Everybody go, bah. <laughs> we like sheep have gone astray. We've left God's plan path to follow our own. And Isaiah says, like sheep, uh, and, and when he calls us a sheep, you need to understand something. It's not a compliment. Now, if it had said that we were lions, you could have said that that was a compliment, or even eagles, it would have been a compliment. But to be a sheep wasn't a compliment. It was, it was one of these, I mean, if you think about it, like you can train most animals, but the sheep isn't the brightest color in the box of crayons, if you know what I mean. And uh, you can train animals, you can train a dog, you can train birds, you can train hamsters, you can train an elephant, you can even train a pig, Rhonda, isn't that right? <laughs> you cannot train cats, I've tried. I've got, a, I've got a cat that's being given away for a good home at Christmas, if anybody wants it. Ethan, if you're here, I'm sorry, it's gone. It is a horrible creature, all right? You can even train a cat, but you cannot train a sheep. You've never went to the circus and thought, I know, I'll go and see the trained sheep. <laughs> you just don't do it. You never hear of it. And, uh, and like, you know, you come, hey, come here, here and watch my pet sheep. Sit. <laughs> Sit. <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't happen. Sheep's not a compliment. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. And, and basically, sheep are three things. First of all, they're weak, they're witless, and they're wayward. And, 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 and why are they weak? Well, they're totally defenseless. You know, if a wolf or a fox or some animal comes to attack, they don't just suddenly produce two fangs to defend themselves. I, I have actually watched, I've watched something very interesting through, uh, I'll not tell you, but anyway, I was out one night in the countryside and um, I watched two foxes try to take a lamb. And what they did, you had a, they had the, the, the yo, the yow, depending where you're from, okay? And she had, she had two little lambs and what was happening was a fox was coming from this side to try and take a lamb. And the mother would chase the fox away. But another one was coming from this side. And every time they were, he, he ran in to try and grab it. And these were fox cubs. They weren't even big. And the truth is this. When they get a hold of a sheep, they'll rip it apart. The sheep was utterly defenseless. Eventually, they got hold of one and they ran across the field and took it away. And the mother bleed it like crazy. And what happens is these sheep are totally defenseless. They, they have no way to defend themselves. They, 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 you know, they, they can't even bite things. Hardly. Now, if you work with sheep, maybe John will tell you, there's an odd one will give a wee bite now and again. And, uh, you know, I've discovered that about church, sheep bite. How many of you know that? <laughs> Not only are they defenseless, but they also run away. And they're stupid animals because, you know, if you were in a gang and a predator was coming, you would scarper, you'd say, you go that way and I'll go that way. Uh-uh, sheep don't do that. What do they do? Well, they kind of stand in a huddle and make it easy for, for one of them to be picked off. And, and, and sheep kind of just, they, they don't really know how to, how to function like that. And they're weak and they're witless, but also they're really dumb. They're dumb animals. Why? Because they just do dumb sheep stuff. All right, I read this story when I was researching this. In 2005 in Turkey, 1,500 of the dumbest sheep followed each other off a cliff. It's a true story. Go Google it, all right? 1,500 sheep, one, two, three, four. They just followed each other. You think by the time you get to the sixth, you'd catch yourself on. Uh-uh, 1,500. Now, there's good news and bad news. The bad news is 400 of them died. The good news is another 1,100 landed on a sheep pillow. <laughs> 
boink, 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 boink. And I'm like, yay, let's go back up the top and do it again. <laughs> True story. And Isaiah calls his sheep. He, he talks about being wayward. It's not a compliment. And um, it's like, Sheep are wayward and they wandered, and we do too. And the prophet Isaiah wasn't only just talking about Jesus in this, he was talking about us. There's a need for us to find God's plan. There's a need for us to get right. And as I have first said, we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned our own way. And, and the punishment for our waywardness was laid on Jesus and a prophecy 700 years earlier. You need to understand the magnitude of this. I think sometimes when we look at the baby born in the manger, sometimes we, we see this as a holy event that happened a long time ago. But what did it mean? This idea of Jesus dying on the cross and rising again, what did it really mean? Well, how, why should we follow Jesus? Why should we do that? Why should we devote our lives to him? And when you understand the magnitude of his suffering and the depths of his love, you won't casually say, I'm just a Christian. You can't do that. When you understand the magnitude of what Jesus did. You can't just come to church and go, hey, you know what? I'll pray. I'll, I'll say a grace over that. No, you need to understand that this declaration of divine love, the only reason why we're wholly able to follow him is because of what Jesus did. Otherwise, we would be screwed. You need to know that. And I think sometimes we come in and we, we see Jesus making mild and he's not making mild. He's this king of kings who rose from the dead victoriously so that we could be free. And we come in here and sometimes we just treat him like a cosmic cook machine, like the giver of the gifts that gives us when it's our job to give gifts to him. Yeah. And we, we don't understand worship sometimes. We, we, we get it around the wrong way. Gee, worship me, Jesus, that's your job. Give me everything. No, you've got it wrong. It's our job to go to him and give him. That's why giving's so important. It teaches us how to give. And the more you give, the more you get, though you don't give to get. It's upside down. And when Jesus comes in, he does this thing and he knows fully what we went through. Why? You only need to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to know what he went through. This place where he wrestled with God and we get a glimpse of, of what happened. His own disciples, the people that said, I'm with you, fell asleep. And we do it all the time. And we lose our passion and we get stuck in a rut and we have a pity party that says, what about me? The amount of pity parties. Listen, life is tough. I know that. Get over it. I think sometimes we have this bad theology that, hear me, we have a good father who wants to give us good gifts. It's a byproduct of us, of us worshiping him. But if that's what we come to expect, we miss it. If you accept the bad stuff in your life, I embrace it these days. Talk to my four beautiful interns, five of them, where are they? I told them when they first came here, I'm gonna put you under the bus. And if you crawl out from under, I'm gonna throw you back under it again. And I can tell you, I've watched in three months, I've never seen people grow as quick in all my life. Hungry, why? Because they're learning a, a, what it is to live in, in difficulty and still rejoice. Not to have the pity party, but you know what? Bring it on. Why? Because I learned more in those moments. Jesus learned more. What did he learn about our sin going through what he went through? Well, we want an easy life. Give me an easy life. Paul did not have an easy life. Man had these dreams. God gave him prophetic vision. He'd go and preach in Rome. When he got to Rome, where was he? 
jail. Broken, shipwrecked, beaten, bit by snakes, betrayed by friends, stoned, chased out of places. I consider it pure joy from the bottom of a Roman jail. Hey, we, 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 we sometimes don't see it. And, and, and we got to see the suffering. Was the removal of this thing that was on us, that was taken and given to a king in order to heal us. And then he was betrayed by one of his friends, Judas, with a kiss. He was arrested, falsely accused, unfairly tried, sentenced to death by crucifixion. He was stripped naked and publicly exposed, feeling humiliated and ashamed in the middle of a street. And when the crown of thorns was placed on his head, half, uh, uh, between half and, and two inches long, where they pushed into his brow and beating, beating, where they ripped his skin off again and again and again. Roman soldiers wearing a massive signet ring, punching him to feel the pain of our pain. Beating him with clubs and they pounded him across the head and they buried him with thorns and they put him in a grave. As I even implies, they pulled on his beard. How did he know that 700 years? He was disfigured and a totally unrecognized human being. Weak, suffering, and alone. And then he was given this bar to carry. Hundreds of pounds, forced to carry it a mile long, along the road that was called the way of the suffering, because many people had gone there in the Roman days to a place called Golgotha, where they crucified him on a cross. And they would take these nails six, seven inches long, and they would hammer them into his wrists. And they would hang on a cross so beaten and bloody that his organs were exposed from the flesh wounds. And then they, they hammered these things in and he couldn't catch a breath because he had to pull himself up to get a breath. And he didn't die of the nails, he died of asphyxiation because he couldn't breathe anymore. Slowly, 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 naked and ashamed and all alone, when the creation that he created mocked him. And that was only the beginning. The most painful part was this innocent one who was out any sin, who had, who had never done anything wrong, took on everything that was foul and filthy and unholy and demonic, and he, he, he took it for us. He was holy and righteous and he took the sin and he pulled it away and this intimate fellowship with his father because it was never broken to this point. When his father turned away for a moment, the most agonizing moment wasn't that he was beaten or drawn. It was that he was without his father. And too many people in this world today are without their father. And what are we doing? We are worried about our world when actually the call of the church is to go and seek the lost. Why should they have this revelation of who Jesus is? I've been wrecked studying these things this week because these guests speak so much more than we ever knew before. And this holy man of God cried out, my God, my God, why have you come away from me? Why have you pulled away from me? Why have you forsaken me? And then they mixed this wine and they put myrrh in it. The very gift, the very gift that the wise men brought him was given to him in that final moment of his life. I mean, 
And he said, Pedalestia. It's our mic for it's finished. And he committed a spirit to God for the forgiveness of our sins. 700 years he took the place. He prophetically declared that this child, this innocent one, born of a virgin, never sinned, who endured on behalf of our sinfulness. Isaiah counted it a suffering servant. He said, unjustly condemned. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short midstream, that he was struck down for the rebellion of his people, that he had done no wrong, and he'd never deceived anyone. And he was buried like a criminal in a rich man's grave. How? Joseph of Arimathea gave Jesus. He only decided in that moment. And yet 700 years before he knew, God knew this moment was going to take place. Think about it for a moment. What sets Christianity apart from other religions in the world? Buddhism, New Age, and Hinduism, anything else. What sets it apart? It's the bloody death of an innocent victim. He sets it apart and way back in the Old Testament, there was a moment that, that was played out on a yearly basis called the Feast of the Passover. Once a year, God would, it would, would come along and he would, he would execute a temporary judgment for the sins of the people. And it was a fierce world back then where the judgment of, of God would sweep through an area. And the only way that they would do it is they would take an innocent lamb. They would cut its throat they would take and eat the meat, a one-year-old lamb. And then what they would do, they'd take the lamb, they would dip it in a bush and a hedge, and they would paint their, their, their top and left and right of their porches. And when the Spirit of God would pass by, death would come to those houses that weren't marked. Now, I'm not going to lie, it's a bit weird. It really is weird, and it's, 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 it was completely unfair that if you just didn't kill a lamb and put blood on the door, that you got dead. And yet, that's for some reason the way that God did it, that the only way that we can get life is through the blood of a broken, sacrificed lamb. And what separates Christianity from the rest of the world is that God became flesh. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so powerfully that he bore the stripes that we were meant to bear. And what do we do with it? We take it for granted far too often. And at Christmas, we come with our gifts and we set up our mangers and we have fun. And yes, it's good to do that, but never forget why. So when you visualize these wise men coming with myrrh, this substance that embalmed the dead, you need to understand that God was foreshadowing what was to come. The Lamb of God who for history, for millennia, was prophesied on that day what was going 33 prophecies were fulfilled on the day of Jesus' death. Hundreds and thousands of years before that day was prophesied. The man had no chance. And he knew from the creation of time when he made you, when he dreamed you up before Adam and Eve were ever created, he knew that one day I'm gonna go and fix this for them that I'm gonna give my life for them. And Jesus said this of himself in Luke 9, 22, 23, he said this, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law that they would kill him. And on the third day, he would be raised to life. And then he says, do you wanna be my, my disciples? <laughs> do you wanna follow me? And there's this big crowd out there. And they were watching, they were spectators watching for the miracle, 5,000 of them. And Jesus doesn't get excited because he's got a big church in front of him. He gets frustrated. And he wants to go away from the crowd. 
And he turns to them and says, why are you here? Why? Do you understand what this class is? If you want to follow me, tell me, let me tell you what it means. That you take up your cross and you die just like me. Are you sure you're in the right class? That you're going to die. And better still, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your mom and your dad and your brothers and your sisters. Do you still want to come? Do you want to give it all up? The sacrifice? Because you want to follow me? That's what you have to do. It's not a hobby. It's not a social club. It's not a feel-good club. Make, make me feel better. We celebrate Santa and we go to Granny's house and we have fun. When God became flesh, born of a virgin, he, he was born of a virgin so that he couldn't have our sin. I mean, I remember talking to somebody this time and they, they didn't connect this. Mary was just an incubator for Jesus. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and placed in her womb. He was, he was God's child. Mary was trusted to him for a very short time to look after him. Why? Because the fall of Adam and Eve could not enter Jesus. He was the last Adam. Perfect in every way. Perfect. He could not touch sin, but he had to put himself in front of it where he could have been tempted. He had to have been in a point as a human where he could have failed like Adam and Eve, and he didn't. In the middle of a 40-day fast, he was taken to high places and tormented by the devil, and he never fell once. His whole life was, was a torment. From the moment that he was commissioned at the age of 30 to three, and, uh, three years and three months, historically, where he served his father. Many times he was, he was pushed away and rejected. A lonely figure, isolated. Why? Because nobody understood what it was like to be perfect. We have no clue. No ISC, no ears heard what this man went through for you and for me. And then he dies, this, this high priest where the gold is the king of kings, Lord of lords. And I'll talk about that next week. And you want to come next week because it's a lot of fun. And frankincense about our great high priest who ripped the veil open and gave his life that we could boldly access the throne of God. That when the high priest comes, that we, we understand something about who he is. And then we've got myrrh, this embalming gum, declaring the one, the child that was going to die for the sins of the world. That's why it's called the gospel. It means good news. And yet, when Jesus was crushed for our rebellion, it looks like a horror movie. Where's the good news in that? Well, the good news is he took the place for you. And now on, when you come as Christians who love the Lord and we love his presence and we love being there, we need to be reminded regularly that why Christmas is so important. That's what I love about our walk through Bethlehem yesterday. Every, everybody's doing something else. School nativities are great. But there's, no, there's not really a message in it anymore. And the message next Saturday as we do this, 
will include this. Because the world's lost the sense of sinfulness, which I talked about last week. They've lost it. They, the enemy's done a number on us. Sin doesn't matter. Do what you like. Because if you don't think you're doing wrong, well, you'll have nothing to fix. And it's robbing us of salvation. And you, you know what's interesting? Somebody posted something yesterday and tagged me in it. I thought it was interesting. This pastor had observed that, that people who went to church are leaving church. That the people who are coming to church are people of the world. Because they know the pain of sin and how much has damaged them. And our, 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 our good stuff, our, 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 the things that we've fought for in life have meant we take things for granted. Never take your salvation for granted. Never lose the picture of Jesus dying for you. And sometimes it needs to be said like this for us to be affected by it. Sometimes it needs to be explained in detail that we get it, that we don't ever forget it. That the reason why this church exists is because of what happened. The reason why this church exists isn't to give you a good experience. It's that you get equipped for acts of service that you will go this Christmas and you will share your life, your faith with other people. Because they need to know this, Jesus. They are so lost. <laughs> they are, we're the sheep. Man, <laughs> how lost are they? And your job is to grab a crook. I watched the shepherd's crook in action yesterday morning. Hadn't seen that before. When this beautiful little female lamb who was quite pleasant with this other, other boy, horns coming of his head was, pfft, just bite, got him by the neck and whipped him in. I was like, huh, oh, never seen that before. I want to give you something this morning. I want to give you a gift. It's an imaginary gift. But I want to give you a shepherd's crook this morning. You know, if you get a shepherd's crook, what does that look like? Well, our job is to take that staff and hold it at the other end, not the top end, the bottom end. And when you see a lost soul, you stick it around their neck, and you pull them out of their, into a new destiny. And that's why it's important you understand the sheep analogy that I said, because our job is to be shepherds. Because you're not lost anymore. You're a fine sheep. And when you're a pastor of a church, my job is to take you to green pastures. But some of you end up in ditches. And every now and again, we have to go where shepherds crip and yank you out of it and pull you back into line again. Sometimes we even beat you with it because you need it. That's Elaine does that now. Yeah. <laughs> Your job is to take that crook and go, my family are lost. My friends are lost and I'm their only living hope because I know who Jesus is. You grab this staff, you whip it around the neck and you say, hey, come on back in. I've got someone who can take care of everything you're struggling with. And you go, ah, they don't want it. <laughs> Let me tell you something, you have no idea how much they want it. You just need to get over yourself. So I want you to stand.
Where's Joe Mugger? Come on up here a minute. John's a man of many talents. <laughs> many talents. And he's got a thumb in many pies. So one of the things he does is he's a shepherd. He's got a few sheep. Not many, but he's got a few sheep. And what I've learned about farmers is this, and I've had encounters with sheep this year that the Lord dragged me on. Honestly, it's hilarious. You know, grew up in a, a townie, and I've had, to, I've had to save a big tip that was on its backside for, I shared this with you, I don't know if you know that, got it back up on his feet and it was covered in everything and it was right down in my wellies. And I'm like, I spoke to a farmer about it last week. I said, hey, how did that sheep get on? Oh, he was fine, he was saved. But if he hadn't got to him, he'd have died. Six and a half thousand pound sheep. I'm like, what? She says, yeah. I found out yesterday there was a 58,000 pound sheep. 58 grand for one sheep. I'm like, what? How is that even possible? And then I realized that that sheep, he's a boyo, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Three and a half thousand sheep, that one sheep will make. I'm like going, he really is a boyo. Says, well, he doesn't have to father them. <laughs> and you realize there's something about these sheep that our job is to go. And Jesus told us, and he used sheep analogy so many times. And John's a shepherd. And I know he has a crook. He's used it to me a couple of times, I'm joking. He's one to two. <laughs> brought John up here in the way of a shepherd because that's kind of what he is. We have a ton of good shepherds in our church. Shepherdesses. But if you don't grab hold of this, these gifts, that as you take a shepherd's crook today in your mind and you have it, Moses had one. He laid it down for God and when he picked it back up again, it became the staff of God. 40 years a shepherd, he lay it before God and he picked it back up again and look what he could do with it afterwards. Representative of his life as a shepherd. And I want to deputize the shepherds this morning. So if you want it, you don't have to do this. When you grab hold of your staff, come on. Lord, give them staffs today, shepherds, crooks. They would take every opportunity to pull lost sheep stuck in a hedge back into the kingdom of God. That they would know this Savior who came to the world, who died and rose again for our sin. Holy Spirit, would you give us strength to never forget what you've done this day. To never forget our calling, our passion, and our life is to be people who go and pull lost sheep out of a hedge and teach them how to follow you. So Lord, I commission every shepherd and shepherdess here today, God, to grab hold of that and never let go. Holy Spirit, come right now. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you've never met this man who paid a dear price for you, you come and see me. I would dearly, dearly love to talk to you about him. And I'll introduce you to the, the shepherd, the true shepherd, the one who really does lead us into pastures green. So Holy Spirit, you come now and commission us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.